Well, good morning once again. <clears throat> Welcome to Pillar Church. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. So today is the official day, although I would argue that we should have more than one day of honoring um, and recognizing the women who have played a significant role in our lives. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're honoring women who have played a significant role in our lives, whether that's a biological mom, uh, a second mom, a spiritual mom. You see, motherhood um, is a very special thing, and we often, though, have a very sort of limited scope in our mind when we think about what mothering is, uh, especially in the body of Christ. And so what I mean by that is there are Women that I know that have never given birth to a child that had a, a bigger impact, a bigger role in the lives of some children than their own biological mother, right? And anybody attest to that? There are spiritual moms. Who has a spiritual mom? You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, if you know, then you know. Um, women who are not your actual mother but have played a significant role in your spiritual development that's a spiritual mom, somebody who mothers you in a Christ-like fashion. That's a very significant role. And so I realize um, there's a, a wide spectrum, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, of mothering. And for some people, it's a very joyous day. And you're there with your mother or you, you celebrate your mom. And for others, um, it's, it's quite a painful day. Um, as maybe they've lost a mother or they desire to be a mother and they're unable to be a mother. And because this is the case, every year for the last seven, this is the seventh Mother's Day, um, we read a letter uh, that I found, or somebody found, I don't remember who found it, doesn't matter. Um, it was an open letter to a pastor um, from a woman who was just sort of at her wit's end of of trying to conceive, struggling, and sitting through Mother's Day service again. And just, you know, oftentimes well-meaning pastors will ask all the mothers to stand. And she she wrote in her um, blog post, like, well, what about um, the woman who uh, had miscarriage? Does, does she stand? What You know, what about the, uh, the mom whose parents are, or kids are estranged from them? Does she stand? It just... There's a lot of awkwardness sometimes, and, then, and I think we need to embrace a wide spectrum of mothering. So I'm going to continue in our tradition to read this. It's not long, but that's exactly what she called it. She called it the wide spectrum of mothering, uh, and her name is Amy Young, and, and this is what it says. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or runaways, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance, 
with your children. We sit with you. To those who have lost their mothers, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who are step-parents, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and we rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. So, amen and amen, absolutely. Let me pray. Father, we pause right now. We we lift up to you and acknowledge all of the people, the ladies, the women, of all of those categories that we just read through. And we thank you for them. We thank you for having these amazing women in our lives. We thank you for um, the gift of motherhood and, and the very important role that ladies play in our lives. God, I know personally I would not be the man I am without my own mother, without the mother of our children, and the influence that that they have played in my life, Lord, and I know that there are other many that would say the same thing of the women around them. So, God, we just acknowledge each and every one of them. We need each and every one of them, and we rejoice that they are here with us celebrating today. And we turn our eyes to you now, Lord, and ask how can we be more consistent and more faithful in loving you and loving others, whether we're mothers, spiritual mothers, children, husbands, men, or children. God, we're all equal in your eyes, unique in the role that you've given us on this planet. So guide us this morning as we look now to your word. We honor you and we praise you this day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. There are lots of goodies in the back. More than we can handle, I think. That's a challenge. So I won't be offended if you get up and and go get some more stuff and take it with you when you leave because that's less that we have to take with us. But I do want to thank all those that participated in in bringing uh, goodies and bringing decorations and and making this uh, day a little bit more special. So thank you for all those that participated in that. Uh, We really appreciate it. Now if you would join me in turning in your Bible to John chapter 9. Flip over to John chapter 9. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And while you're turning there, I'll just remind you that last week we spent some time in John chapter 8 and looking at Jesus as who? 
the light, the light of the world. There we go. Jesus as the light of the world. Now it's all coming back to you, right? Um, one of the things I took away from that message that's just very, just kind of etched in my mind was the imagery, or the example that Mark shared with us about the moon. Um, so he made the point that um, even though in the darkness of night here on this side of the planet, we can be confident and know that the sun is shining somewhere else because the moon is reflecting that light to the world. That, in my mind, is like the perfect illustration of who we are to be. Here we are in this lost, broken, and dark world. People all around us are unsure if there is a God or, or, or creator or whatever you want to call that being. Yet, in the darkness, they can know and be confident that there is a God and that he is the light of this world because we, us, his chosen, are reflecting that light to the world. That, in some cases, is the only way that they will experience and know the God of this universe. I love that. That's just such a powerful, powerful thing. And so let me just ask you, how did you do this week in reflecting that light to this lost and broken world? Were you a good reflection? Were you a mediocre reflection? Did you hide inside your house with your blankets over you so you couldn't reflect anything? I mean, only you can ask your, answer that for yourselves, but it's, it's a question we should regularly respond to. Ask and respond. How did I do this week in reflecting the light of the world? Because that's what we're called to be, right? Salt and what? Light. The church is a, a city on a hill, right? We're not hidden. We're out there. Ambassadors for Jesus. Okay, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, even though you might have felt like I just did. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. It was a wonderful sermon. So now, are you ready for a fascinating story? Yes. All right, okay. We're picking up pace here. I love it. Good. Yeah, you're awake now. Everybody's good. You got the sugar going. Coffee's going. We're, we're good. Okay, and so when I say story, don't, don't think I'm saying like historical fiction or like this sort of illustration. This is a real story involving real people that actually took place. So that's what I mean by story. And some people go, oh, that was a cute story. Yeah, no, no this is reality. This actually happened, recorded by the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is who? John. All right. Enough, enough of my talking. Let's go to John chapter 9. Are you, you ready? Awesome. Here we go. As he, that is Jesus, as, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? 
He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for as this man, we do not even know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin. <laughs> you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out and found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answers, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. How about that story? I told you, are you ready for a fascinating story? And you didn't think I was going to read the entire chapter, but I sure did. A lot of things going on, a lot of things to observe and sort of, of kind of just come to terms with. Um, something to note, I think right off the bat, is I would love for all of us to revisit John chapter 9 throughout this week because we're just going to scratch the surface on a lot of what's going on here. And, and part of my goal is to pique your interest in certain things that you're like, oh, I got to go back and I got to dig into that because there's, there's more to be uncovered there. So... We're just going to walk through the story, and we're going to, we're going to figure out what the point of the story is, 
why it's here for us, uh, what do we need to do about having heard it. So let's just start at the beginning. Jesus is coming. He's walking along. Seems sort of random, this whole thing. Of course, we know it's not random at all. Passes by this blind man. And how long has he been blind? Since birth. And so Jesus is asked um, this question, was it this man's sin or his parents that caused him to be blind? Why do you think they asked Jesus that question? Have you ever wondered why bad things happen in this life? Two of you have. The rest of you, talk to me after this because I want to know how you walk through this world and not question all the bad things that are going on. Of course, we all have. We want answers to these difficult things because we think somehow having the answers is going to make us feel better about what's happening around us. The reality is, my friends, and you know this, but I'm just going to remind you, oftentimes we're not going to know why bad things happen. Other than to say, of course, we live in a broken and fallen world. Ever since Adam, things have been on a course and a trajectory of bad and evil things happening. We know that evil exists in this world, but, but should we... Blame God for those things? Some people do, don't they? They do. They can't reconcile. They say, I can't believe in a God who would allow such terrible things to happen. Have you heard somebody say that before? Yeah. Now, this is not at all the point of the passage. <laughs> but we can't just gloss over this question because I think it is it's important. But if you're struggling with this question of evil, this idea of, of why bad things happen, I would encourage you to do two things. One, pray and ask the Lord to remind you to bring comfort to you in the fact that God is righteous and just and good. And then go and read the book of Job. Go and read the book of Job. It's, it's long. I'll just give you a heads up. It's long. But if you read through the book of Job, you'll see God's hand at work in the midst of tragedy and and. I think you'll be better for it. Just a, a little another side note on this. Remind yourself that God exists outside of time, that he knows the beginning from the end. Right? Nothing is a surprise to him. Why things happen like this are outside of our realm of understanding, my friends. <laughs> but if this sort of tips your theology out of balance, and you're just like, I can't reconcile this. I can't, I can't figure this out. Let's sit down together. I'd love to, to chat with you more about this. Uh, but again, uh, not, not the, the point of the message necessarily, but something that I wanted to, again, just sort of pique your interest on. In the case of the blind beggar, we're not left to wonder. We get an answer from Jesus. Hey, it's not because this guy sinned. It's not because his parents sinned. Here's the reason why this man was born blind, so that the works of the Lord might be displayed in him. Okay, well, that's, I never really thought about that. They're probably thinking to themselves, how, is, how does that work? Well, we'll get there. By the way, anybody wondering how a, ma a man blind from birth could have some sort of responsibility in his own blindness? Like, you were born blind. How is your sin causing you to... Anybody catch that? Yeah? Okay. You're good. paying attention. The Jews believed that you could sin in the womb. You want more on that? Good. Go to Genesis 25. Not right now, but later. I told you, peaking your interest. 
Genesis 25, verses 22 and 23, and Psalm 58, 3. You can read all about it. The issue is, they're asking the wrong question. Instead of inquiring about the topic of pain, suffering, and evil, their eyes should have been on the Lord. So Jesus, he's looking to bring an answer to a better question. He tells the disciples that this man's tragedy will be used to bring God glory. And instead of assigning blame, Jesus chooses to answer the question, how can God be glorified in this situation? You see, he's not about assigning blame. He's like, hey, look, let's shift this whole thing. Instead of wondering about that, let's wonder how we can bring God glory through this situation. And he says, by the way, as long as I'm still on earth, we've got work to do. Like, let's get our eyes fixed on the right thing here. As long as he is here, he remains the light of the world. So let's get to work. That's basically what he's telling them. All right, so now comes the miracle we read in verses 6 and 7. Now I think of all of the healings that Jesus accomplished throughout his time on the earth, the one recorded here in John chapter 9 is among the most peculiar. Anybody agree with me on that? Right? So he spits on the ground, he makes mud, and he rubs it on the guy's eyes. Tells him to go wash in the pool. That's, that's sort of an interesting approach. It's fascinating, right? Unless you're the blind beggar. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. You're just sitting there. You hear some scuffling around. You hear what you're pretty sure is somebody spitting on the ground. Then there's some rustling around. Next thing you know, there's like this musty smelling stuff on your eyeballs. You're like, what is happening right now? I didn't make any noises. I was going to make some noises, but I didn't. Right? To illustrate what it would have been like for that blind man. It's, it's probably a little bit disturbing. I'd be freaking out at that point if, if, I, if I'm honest, right? You're like, what is it? What's on me? Help. <laughs> this guy has a different response altogether, doesn't he? Look at verse 7. Jesus told him to go and wash, and what does he do? He went and he washed. That's obedience. That's what stands out to me here in this. You see, he knew enough about what was going on that he was willing to do what Jesus told him to do. Now, did Jesus give him any indication of what would happen if he went and washed in the pool? He did not. He didn't say, hey, dude, if you go wash that, you're going to be able to see. Nothing. And yet, he goes. There's a lesson in all of us for that, my friends. But why mud? You think about that too, right? So... What do you need besides a liquid in order to make mud? Dirt. Dirt, right? Don't go back there, but just use your deep knowledge here in your brain. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, what does it say that man is made out of? Dust or dirt. So it seems here that Jesus is incorporating this miracle into this miracle, I should say, yet another indicator that he is, in fact, God, the creator of the universe and everything in it, including man. Could be subtle, but I don't think it is to his Jewish audience. How does this man return, then, in verse 7, after having washed as Jesus instructed him to do? He came back seeing. He's healed. Miracle 
happen. And so now the rest of the story basically is going to revolve around watching various groups of people respond and react to what just happened. We saw that when we read through it. Um, it's here where I think we begin to understand what the point of the passage is and what it means for us. So the first group to respond are the neighbors. That would be the people who would have seen this guy day in and day out, sitting there by the entrance, and they ask, isn't that the guy that used to sit there and beg that blind kid? That's him, right? Some of them are like, yep, that's definitely him. And others are what? Nah, that's not him. It just, just sort of looks like him, right? Maybe maybe he's a distant cousin or something. I don't know. Maybe, perhaps. I think this is just evidence that they're not really paying attention at all to who's sitting around begging. They're doing their best to avert their own seeing eyes instead of being concerned with meeting the needs of people who rely exclusively on the kindness of strangers. They can't even recognize this guy. That's how little attention they paid to him. And so they ask him, hey, how did this happen? As we read that story, you might have asked or seen how that question is repeatedly asked of him. How did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? So I think at this point, it's, it's appropriate for me to tell you that the title of the sermon, it's all the wrong questions. All the wrong questions. So far, the disciples have asked the wrong question. <laughs> we just covered that in the opening couple of verses. Now we have this group. They're not necessarily wrong at this point. They're just curious. They want to know, hey, how did this happen? That's a good question. Funny, though, the whole time they're arguing about whether this is the guy or not. Yeah, that's him. No, it's not. No, it's, what's he doing? He's like, hey, it's me. <laughs> I'm that guy. Okay, stop arguing. That, that, that's me. I'm, I'm the one. I'm, I was him, and now I'm, I'm, I'm the man. So he tells them what happens. Tells them about this incredible miracle. Born blind. Now his eyes are open. He told them what happened. And they are just rejoicing and celebrating and praising God. Right? That was their response. Nope. Their mind's not really blown. It doesn't seem like. They just simply ask him, where is he? Where is he? That's an odd response. So let me ask you, what is your response to seeing God's hand at work? And I don't necessarily mean some miracle like we're talking about here, but any sort of movement of God on our behalf. What, what, how do you respond? What is the appropriate response to the work of the Lord? Praise. Praise God for what he did. Answered prayer, miracles, healing, relationships restored, marriages renewed, whatever that is, the proper response to the hand of the Lord at work is praise. Not asking, where is he? What's your response when you see the hand of God moving around you? Now the Pharisees become involved. Okay, great. We notice in verse 14 that the miracle was performed on the Sabbath. We learned from previous encounters in John that this is going to be a problem, right? You don't do anything on the Sabbath. They question the man. Now this is the second time he's been asked, how did this happen? And you got to love his abridged version of the story. Now he's kind of shortened things up, right? Verse 15, he put mud out of my eyes. I went and washed. I see. 
just just kind of just cutting through and just getting right to the point. Mud, wash, see. Got it? Three-step process. That's what happened. And so you remember the, the Pharisees had a mixed response. One group says, there's no way he's from God because he did this work on the Sabbath. He can't be from God. And the other group, they're like, well, wait a minute. How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And so now they're in opposition. They're divided. Not good for them. Interesting how things are planning out. But it's obvious that the Pharisees at this point, they're, they're on their heels. They're scrambling. They're like, they don't know what to do. And so the experts, the scholars, the people that have all the answers, they turn to this guy, who's now referred to as the man who had formerly been blind, and they ask him, hey, what do you think of Jesus? All of a sudden, his opinion matters, because they don't know what else to do. And his response? He's a prophet. Again, not a good thing for the Pharisees. They're like, no. And so they're like, probably still scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. Verse, eight, the, verse 18, we read now that they didn't believe he was ever blind in the first place. Because if you can't refute the miracle, then you deny it ever happened. Right? Now, he, he, he just wasn't blind. There's no healing. Enter the parents of the guy who now referred to as the man who received his sight. This is his third name. And they're questioned by the religious leaders. So, uh, is this your son? Uh, is, he, uh, is he born as blind? I mean, you say that he was. Was he, in fact, born blind? Can you, can you attest to that? Can you verify that he was blind from birth? Yes, they could verify that, and they did. Well then, how can he see? Well, verse 21, their response. How he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. But ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. Why did they answer this way? According to verse 22. They're frightened. Why are they frightened? Pharisees are going to kick them out, right? They would have been a part of this community. It would have been important to them, significant. But the Pharisees enter to decide, if anybody declares Jesus Christ as the Messiah, they're gone. So the parents are afraid of the fallout if they spoke about Jesus. So here, my friends, is another great lesson for us. How will we respond in the face of certain persecution or harsh treatment? The parents knew if they spoke up, something bad was going to happen to them. They knew that. And so we have two choices, really. We respond like the parents in this scenario. We keep our mouths shut. We fly under the radar. We don't acknowledge who God is or what he's done in our lives or why he's the light of the world and significant that he would seek and save the lost. We just keep our mouths shut. Or we can be like the sun. Well, let's see his response as he's questioned yet again. The Pharisees say, give glory to God, which is another way of saying, like, you better be honest with us. Like, this, we're real now. Give glory to God. Don't, don't lie to us. We know that this man is a sinner. That's what they're telling this young man. And his reply is perfect. You got to love it. I don't know if he's a sinner. Here's what I do know. I once was blind. Now I see. How many times have you sung that song in church? Lots and lots of times, probably a lot of you. I was once blind, but now I see. That's where it comes from, right? 
all he's doing is laying out the facts and forcing them to come to terms with it. He's not adding any color commentary or trying to convince them. He's just like saying, hey, look, this is what I do know. My, my eyes didn't work. <laughs> now they work. Do with that what you will. So now, completely unraveled at this point, <laughs> the Pharisees, they just turn around and ask him a second time, well, how did he open your eyes? Okay, that's an interesting strategy, Pharisees. Um, his response, though, we see him growing bolder and bolder. He's like, my friends. I don't know if he said my friends, but I already told you, and you wouldn't listen to me. Why do you want me to tell you again so that you can become his disciples? Yikes. That's bold. Right? He's calling them out in front of everyone and not in an obnoxious or arrogant sort of way. He's like, I'm just lost here, guys. You keep asking me what happened. Why do you want to know? Is it, is it really so that you can become his disciples? Because I can't think of any reason why you want to know what's happening. He cuts right to the heart of the matter. Interesting thing, though, is this man a disciple of Jesus? At this point, is this man a disciple of Jesus? Not that we can tell. Not that we know of. But somehow he's gathered enough information to know that people are following Jesus, and he's in, he seems to be inviting other people on this journey. Whether he's being facetious or joking or not, we don't know. But he's like, hey... You want to follow him and be his disciple because other people are doing it too. And they are not having it. <laughs> they are enraged. And they let him have it. And what do they do? They lay claim to the only thing they know to lay claim to. Moses. We're disciples of Moses. We know that Moses heard from God. It's written down in our, in our books. We know it. Okay. And in that process, completely disregard everything that Jesus did. Saying in verse 29, we don't even know where this man comes from. Now, the formerly blind man switches into what we're call, we'll call baller mode. This guy is like next level at this point. He comes to the Pharisees with this very striking truth. I want to read it to you. Check out uh, chapter 9, verse 30. I'm going to read verses 30 to 33. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. And if he had a mic, he could just go boop and drop it. There's no way to come against that and refute it. And so what do you do to people who are clearly right when you're clearly wrong? You kick them out. You're done. I got nothing else for you. Get away. And that's exactly what they did. Kicked him right out. But Jesus heard that he was cast out of the synagogue. And what does Jesus do? He goes. He finds 
the man. And he comes over and he, he coddles him. He's like, are you okay, my friend? Everything all right? Right? That's, how he, that's what he did, didn't he? Asks if his feelings were hurt, if he's okay. Now, Jesus, at this point, asks him the most important question in this entire chapter. Do you believe in the Son of Man? After all that he had just gone through, Jesus pulls up and goes, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus responds, It's me. The man who's speaking to you, that, that it's me. Verse 38, three words. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Finally, a right question followed by a right answer. <laughs> this man's physical eyes were opened by Jesus, and now his spiritual eyes were opened as well. How many of you guys wear contact lenses? Glasses. Okay. Jesus doesn't prescribe corrective lenses. He gives new eyes. Okay? That's what happened to this man. Physically and spiritually. New eyes. So we have these final closing statements by Jesus in verses 39 through 41. Let me just read those again since it's been a little bit since we read them. Starting in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Some of you are like, Well, that's kind of what, what exactly is he saying here? Well, let me read from my friend Warren Wearsby comments on this. John 39 does not contradict John 3, 16 and 17. You can go back and read that as well. The reason for our Lord's coming was salvation, but the result of his coming was condemnation of those who did not believe. The same sun that brings out, sorry, the same sun that brings beauty out of the seed also exposes the vermin hiding under the rock. Our Lord's reply was a paradox. If you were blind, you would be better off, but you claim to see... Therefore, you are guilty. Blindness would, would at least be an excuse for not knowing what was going on. But they did know what was going on. Jesus had performed many miracles, and the religious leaders ignored the evidence to make a right decision. That's essentially what's happening here. Jesus now is calling them out. And they did just that, ignore the right decision. And oftentimes, my friends, there's people all over this world that choose to ignore the truth in front of them. It's not that they can't believe. It's that they won't. A lot of times. While almost everyone involved in this story is asking the wrong questions, Ignoring the evidence and denying Jesus 
Something incredible is happening. The glory of the Lord is made known in this miracle and in this blind man now healed, believing and following after Jesus. All glory to God for healing this man, redeeming his life both physically and spiritually. And I believe, my friends, one of the main points of this story as we read through it and now we've looked back over it, one of the main points of this story is to show us an important principle in walking out the Great Commission. That is this, a physical need led to spiritual transformation. A physical need led to spiritual transformation. That's what happened, right? The reason he was saved is because of his blindness. What would happen if we began meeting physical needs that led to spiritual conversations that led to spiritual transformation? God would be glorified. Lost people would be saved. We'd see exactly what's happening here in this story. So, so what is our part in that process? How does it start? Quite simply, meeting a physical need. Maybe somebody needs food. Clothes, a jacket, blankets, money, a job, a, an actual physical need that we then can meet. Helping to meet those needs, if you've ever done it, and I think most of you have, opens a very special door for talking about Jesus. In our small group on Wednesday night, we call this a Shema lifestyle. Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's hearing, obeying. It's living out who Jesus is. You've heard it of being the hands and feet of Jesus. So many of us are, are quick to meet a need. Give, you know, 20 bucks or buy somebody groceries or, or do X, Y, and Z. And then we stop there. And while that's a blessing, for sure, we miss an opportunity to move beyond meeting a physical need and transitioning into a spiritual conversation. Here's a simple example of how when you're handing a $20 bill to a young mother who's standing in the grocery section uh, at the store trying to decide between milk and cheese, you hand her a $20 bill and you say, you know what, Jesus, Jesus has been so good to me. He's given me more than I need. And that's why I'm able to help you today. In fact, can I pray with you right now that Jesus would be able to meet your needs as well? That's combining an action with a statement that brings glory to God, transitions you to a spiritual conversation that by God's grace would lead to a spiritual transformation. That's what this story is telling us. A physical need led to a spiritual transformation. But there's parts that we play along the way. Now, we all know we don't save anybody. But we do play a role in the process. And this is a fantastic way 
to begin that. Because I know a lot of us, we don't know where to start. It's like, that's scary. I'm not going to go up to somebody and, and, and share the gospel with them. What if they ask me all kinds of hard questions? Well, they might. But I guarantee there's going to be less hard questions if you go up to somebody, meet a physical need, ask them if you can pray with them, pray with them, and then see what the Lord does with that. So what is your response to God's word today? What is he asking you to do about it? That's what I hope you take away from the message this morning and move into the rest of this week, this month, this year, the rest of your life, for that matter. Let's pray. Father, again, you are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And we thank you so much for your faithfulness your mercy, your kindness, your love, the way that you do meet and exceed every need that we have. Thank you for this incredible story from John chapter 9 where you clearly outline for us that you have a desire to meet physical needs. You have a desire to see those needs being met leading into a spiritual transformation. And Father, we want to be a part of that. Or we want to play our role in this equation. Knowing, God, that you do the real work. You do the heavy lifting. You do the, the transformation of, of bringing new life, of bringing spiritual sight, healing. But, Lord, we got to start the conversation. And meeting needs is one way that you've shown us today to be able to do that. So I pray for a spirit of boldness for each one of us. A, a willing spirit to go and do the things that you've called us to go and do, to be the light of the world, to reflect that light. What greater way to reflect that light than to, to just openly demonstrate the love of Christ to people who are in a desperate situation and need something from you. God, I'm grateful for every person here. I know that all those that are here are here because they love you and they desire to grow in their relationship with you. And I'm encouraged, Lord, even by the stories that I've heard of people meeting physical needs and praying for people. Lord, I know that people are doing this. I pray that we would all continue to do this more faithfully, more consistently, God. That you would be glorified. That you would be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.